0: UK motor talk Hi everyone we are back as well as we are we are back anyway I'm Mike I'm Jim good evening hello I'm Graham and I'm Dave seems like only yesterday we were talking how are we all not so bad i think we are indeed uk motor talk and as always it's a pleasure to speak to all of you everyone all good yeah
1: not a huge amount to report i could see fuel prices seeming to slowly but surely fall back down it's a it's a weird sensation it's um we're sort of down to 170s around here now aren't we early 180s but on the on the way up that seemed very very painful then it hits 190 and two pounds and all of a sudden one pound 80 seems like a bargain again doesn't it so it's a uh, it's all relative, but it's, um yeah, heading in the right direction slowly but surely. I stood in a Sainsbury's forecourt yesterday
2: paying for my petrol, and the, the couldn't uh, not overhear the chap next to me just coughing up for his Mercedes 160 quid. The young lady said to him, have you got a Sainsbury's card? Oh, no, I can't be really bothered with those. Well, there you go. Uh, Obviously, if you dump 160 quid into your car, it clearly doesn't matter to you. But of course,
1: often those uh, points and loyalty things are done per litre, not per pound. So actually, albeit 160 quid, it's not not actually that huge an amount of money. I think if it was Nectar points, it would be pence worth.
2: It's it's nice to save a little bit of money,
1: but clearly some people just don't need to worry about that. Every little helps. uh... Oh no, that's the other one, isn't it? Somebody says
0: it. Supermarket fuel, though. Ooh. Anyway, only the best for for your your motors, Graham. I, I'm I'm I think it's about time we shared what's been going on with your pug, incidentally, because you spoke before about doing the timing belt, didn't you? So I'm not sure that we've mentioned since you decided to go it alone in inverted commas. What's happened?
2: Well, we're 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 still at it. Um, this is a report from your noted mean mechanic. It's a timing chain, by the way belt would have been much easier. Of course, but, chain, yeah. Uh, yeah, the chain is a, is a nightmare. But anyway, my local garage said, okay, we haven't got the necessary tools to do it. You need to go to Peugeot. And I made an inquiry of Peugeot, and it was nearly two grand. And for Christ's sake, the car's not worth much more than that. So, yes, I decided to go it alone. It's been a pig of a job. There were so many variants, as you will know, Michael, this engine is basically a BMW engine, even though it's in a Peugeot. And it features in certain minis and some other cars as well. The complication in this case is it's an auto box. And you have to strip so much stuff out of it to get the the timing chain out. I mean, I bought a kit that cost 300 quid with all the parts. And that that was a very, very good deal. Very complete set of bits to replace everything that was, was needed to be replaced. But then the kit to hold the cams in place cost me well over a 100 quid. I think it was about 130 quid. And the number of incidental, odd size spanners and so on that I've had to buy en route, which has just continually delayed things. I mean, how many people have a... 28mm stubby spanner in their collection. I've got most things in my
1: kit of tools. I've got a 28mm spanner and an angle grinder if that's any use to
2: you. Yeah,
0: I I was thinking pretty much the same thing I have to say. It's the chain tensioner which is a
2: particularly large bolt head which sticks way at the back of the engine and you've got to strip the entire intake system out and then it fouls the MAF sensor so you have to take that out as well. And then you need an extra-long Torx size 12, I think it was, to take that out as well. I'd got Torx screwdrivers. I've got Torx sockets. But you can't get any of them in there. Um And your <laughs> Haynes manual will say, oh, yeah, it's going to be done in the car. And I looked at all of the videos uh, online to see whether there was any help there. And the ones that made the most sense were the ones that were done in a factory with the engine clearly out of the car. And that is a doddle. Trying to do it in the car's a bloody nightmare. So how uh,
1: how long have you been going at this so far, then?
2: Oh, uh, it's, it's been taking several hours at a time. Uh, hopefully, I'm now at the point where tomorrow I can start putting everything back together. We've got the chain and all the gears in. I've run it through manually. It's It's quite amazing how many people I've heard of that fit all
1: the kit together and then put the battery back on and started up. That was a very political answer. How how many weeks have you been going at this so far? I noticed there was no much actual days. How many hours? were well, probably 20 hours
2: or something of that sort.
1: In. Wow. Over how many weeks?
2: Oh, uh, over a couple of weeks, a good couple of weeks. But then I've been waiting for parts or waiting for special tools and so on and so on. And as I say, I've got a pretty extensive toolkit, but, you know, I bought a 28mm socket, because mine stopped at 27 that's typical, isn't it? It's not a hope in hell of getting it in there. because the MAF sensor is in the way. So it's got to be a spanner, and it's got to be an open-ended spanner, because there isn't even enough room to get a ring spanner in. I started to think, well, maybe that's why Peugeot charged so much money in the dealerships, because they don't actually want the job. And I suspect my local garage didn't want it either, because it's a pain in the proverbial
1: if you paid somebody else an hourly rate to do it with the amount of time it's taken you, it would only be £4.46 an hour. So it seems like fairly good value
2: to me. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe. Um, I wasn't prepared to spend that amount of money on that car. So I've got there in the end. Realistically, had I had all the kit to hand, I could have probably done it in two working days without too much of a problem. But as it is, we'll probably be nearer to four working days, with very little outside
1: help by way of internet or or others. Mainly, we were just uh, just laughing at you and
0: saying yes, good luck. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So you don't pay for the hours, Graham. So you, you, all, all the minutes, what you do is you pay for all the years and the tools and the experience that go with it. Exactly. As
2: somebody said to me recently, it's not the price of the job, it's the price of knowing how to do the job. Yeah. So I've had to learn uh, an awful lot very quickly. Um, you know, the fact that I needed to shift the crankshaft main bolt, I needed a three foot pry bar mm. to get enough torque on it. That was another expense. I would probably never, ever use a three foot pry bar again. Uh, But if you know anybody who wants uh, to borrow a half-inch one, it's very welcome. Uh, They can borrow it any time they like. But at the moment, it just overhangs all of my toolboxes.
0: i just use a scaffold pole.
2: (laughs) You couldn't get one in. Believe me, I tried it. I've got a six-foot scaffold pole. I couldn't get it in there. If I'd been able to do so, I would have done so. The gap is so
0: narrow, it's just impossible. If your pedance is also a Peugeot, why don't you write to us at jobs I wish I'd never started, at UK Motor Talk... (laughs) Um, we would love to hear from you. If you've taken longer than, uh, than 20 weeks to uh, put your timing belt back in your car, change your tyre, whatever else it might be, do let us know. We would be fascinated to hear.
2: It did remind me, Michael, that we were talking about lists of cars that
0: we've owned and I
2: omitted a Peugeot 806, which was a brilliant car until it all went wrong. And that was a complete engine rebuild needed because it seized. And I sold it for a song.
0: We, we were talking uh, in our uh, WhatsApp group about, about how many cars we've owned. And there's a varying amount. As you probably imagine for a, a bunch of petrol heads or car heads, if we want to be called these days. I think I'm on about 40. You've done at least that, Graham, haven't you? You've done loads.
2: Uh, I think in terms of actually owned, probably getting towards 100. Yeah. But then I'm a lot older than you are, Michael, so that's hardly a surprise. And I've spent an awful lot of time buying cars that were not very good and didn't last very long but you know such is uh, the way uh, life works for some of us so the only new cars i had i had a number of quite decent company cars over the years but then the great thing was the fact that i was road testing cars so i always got to play
3: with lots of interesting cars
2: and that's more than hundreds
3: I'm just looking back at the message. and there's some brilliant ones in there. A35 van, Austin A60, Cambridge Land Rover pickup, X Army. That makes me very jealous. I would like, yeah, to me too. And then a Fiat Brava. I can only offer my condolences, Graham, <laughs> as someone who had nothing but Italian cars for basically 19 years. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I hope you got rid of that one pretty well, quick because I drove a few of them.
2: I must tell you a little story about that because that broke fairly quickly. And <laughs> No way! It, it, was a, it was a new company car. It was on the first batch that came out of, off the ships and Ooh. it lasted mm, a fortnight before it had a major problem. It went back to the dealership several times. I chanced into the yard one day and they'd taken the bonnet off and were driving it up and down the forecourt. The mechanic sitting astride the engine trying to work out what the hell was going on. <laughs> they got in touch with the regional manager. That got them nowhere. I was then doing programs for the BBC. I found Fiat's press office and I said, Look, you know, this is, is going to make a very interesting story, but it's not a story that you would particularly like. And the manager had said, Well, you can't get those parts. It needs a new ECU. There's not one in the country. I got a phone call back from the press office saying, Okay, we're flying you one in tomorrow. It'll be courier to your dealer. You'll have the car back in 48 hours. It was nice to just achieve a result, but it it didn't last much longer because it broke down with something else and I refused to have it as a company car.
1: I've got reasonably fond memories of a Fiat. Uh, What what was the... There was a saloon and a hatch. Which one was the hatch? That was the Bravo. That was the Bravo. The Bravo, yeah. A friend at college had a Fiat Bravo. But I I think he'd only bought it because he was going to buy a Saxo VT... VTR or VTS or whatever it was, but I'd ended up racing one on a private bit of test track somewhere in and around Brighton, the week before, in my Mark II Golf, and managed to beat him despite being five up. So he uh, he changed his mind and wanted to buy something a bit quicker. So he had something faster than mine. But it was a it was a good memories in in one of those. But I think like most cars that a mate had at college, you you the car because you had good memories of it. But I think I remember he was he was boasting about the naught to whatever it was time, and I think I said my radio controlled cars quicker than that, and uh, and we ended up one night down Goring Gap. I was hanging out of his sunroof with my radio-controlled car, drag racing him, and uh, he was getting most frustrated that a radio-controlled car was quicker than him, but I had to be a bit wary of being in the lead, because if uh, if I spun and he jinked a bit left, then he'd have run the car over, so you had to be a bit careful
0: <laughs> with it. I'm trying to remember which they were. So there was the Bravo and the Bravo. There was one that had three like three bars as a tail lamp at the back, wasn't there?
3: Bravo. That was Bravo, yeah, that was a Bravo. I think. Yeah. That was five-door hatchback. Bravo was the three-door hatchback. And then there was Marea, which was the four-door saloon or five-door I remember estate, that. In which case, it was called The Weekend.
0: The Weekend?
2: When it was good, it was very, very good. And when it was not good, it was
0: pretty awful. We talk about the various batch of fears. Does anyone remember the Stilo, which came afterwards? It's genuinely one of the worst cars I think I've ever had the mispleasure of. No. <laughs> no, yes. Yeah. I quite like the styling. It was a bit like, I liked the Mark II Punto with the square headlamps, which they also used on that MG Supercar. You know the what yeah, oh, yeah 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 the SV, yeah 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 that's yes. right they had a the little projector headlamps cool looking thing and I, th- I still think it's quite a good looking car now in those days yes. having the tail lamps up the side of the boot like from the, from the mark one punto was quite unusual wasn't it later you had volvo and then the focus and then everyone basically did it but quite an unusual design feature and then you had that shape punto and then the Stilo. they were just dreadful and somehow we've ended up with Fiat only really making the 500 we've said about this before the 500e and then the the ones which are just absolutely disgusting the 500l which is possibly one of the worst cars i've ever driven and is incredibly ugly and what was the other 500 based barnacle oh god the the crossover it just gets progressively worse bearing in mind the original 500 is quite a pretty little car to be fair the 500, which was basically a re shell, re body, whatever you want to call it, by Frank Stevenson of the Fiat Panda, Frank Stevenson of new mini fame and all kinds of bits and pieces, McLaren and some really exciting, exotic stuff. Not a, a fantastic car to drive, but quite British to look at and quite charming in its own way. And the 500e, I think, is a great looking thing. And then you have that, oh God, they are just horrible. But fundamentally, there's not it's much a of a thing. Yeah. ugly sister. Yeah.
3: They've lost the plot. I mean, the problem was, though, nobody. Nobody buys, in this country at least, nobody buys anything other than small Fiat. Mm. That was the whole thing. They soon learned that they weren't getting anywhere in larger cars. They they want now sort of seen to be prime cars. They want to be seen in an Audi or they want to be seen in a small Audi. They want to be seen in a mid-sized Audi or a Mercedes or a BMW. They don't want to be seen in the equivalent Fiat. The nearest you'll get is somebody perhaps again, sort of Well, I'll have an elf, yeah, which is basically Mito's me, everywhere Because it's got they? a bit more brand cash, yeah, Mito for which read Punto, yes. same thing, and um, just as parlous in terms of the quality. It's, it's a shame, it's a real shame, as I say, I had nothing but Italian cars for the best part of 19 years. And yeah, I suffered for it, but at least they were individual. They were great fun to mm. drive, huge mm. fun. I've got very fond memories, not all of them, at the side of the road with the hazard lights <laughs> on and the bonnet up. Most of the time, they were huge fun. Like Grant said, when they were good, they were very, very good. And it's, it's a shame. That's, this is the niche they found themselves in. It works for them. People buy them. Every time they try and bring something bigger, people go, uh, Fiat Chroma, for oh, example. Yeah. There weren't very many of them sold, were there? So stick with what you know. Renault, that's another one. Nobody buys big French cars anymore, do they?
2: Unless they're the head of uh, a Renault dealership. It's the way with those big cars, the big Peugeots.
0: Right, there's not one single original Fiat Bravo, Fiat Brava or Fiat Marea of any kind, Marea, whatever you want to call it, at all, on eBay currently. That probably says all you need to know, doesn't it? Not one single one available. The only thing I can find is the later Bravos. My lasting memory of one of those, and it was about a 2008 plate one, is that uh, it had catastrophic ECU failure. I think it was ECU failure. And the power steering died. I had to get dragged to a local Fiat dealer behind an AA wagon and him pulling out onto a roundabout, having no power steering and no power whatsoever. and just seeing someone coming straight at the side of the car, just going, ah, trying to drag myself around the corner. That is my lasting memory. But otherwise, quite a good looking thing, I think.
2: Uh, if you find me a nice Alpha Stelvio while
0: you're researching, that, that I would have, like, a shot. See, I think <laughs> Alpha have, have got it right, haven't they, still? I mean, the thing yeah. about Alpha Romeo's are they are so pretty that you could almost forgive them anything. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost, yeah. You, if it was a person, if it's kind of like a supermodel or something, you know, you go out and you kind of accept the fact that maybe they are well, maybe there are some, some foibles that you otherwise wouldn't excuse, but because they are so unbelievably beautiful, you just sit there the entire time besotted, staring at them. And everything, so the 156, the 159, which we've spoken about Alphas many, many times before. The Stelvio is an incredibly good-looking SUV thing, if that's what you're into. The Julia, all these things, very good-looking cars, aren't they? Very yeah, good
3: car. you turned up my old 156 I Ford did? wagon a few months yeah. ago and I have to confess even though that thing left me in a very very bad mood <laughs> looking back at it it did bring back the fond memories we went all over the place in that car and it was absolutely it was the car that I brought my son home from hospital in when he was born it's got a lot of lot of memories and it is a very pretty looking car to my eye and admittedly I'm the sport wagon looked better than the saloon it was better resolved the long roof I and think it, so it was a gorgeous mm-hmm. car I loved it it was one of those cars that you couldn't help but look at the reflection in shop windows because it just especially when it's clean and it had the dahl alloys mm. when they were sort of really catching the light really really nicely done but it basically crapped all over me and as a result I've driven nothing but Skoda since but you know, you do find yourself thinking, maybe as a classic, maybe I could do it. But then you think, how big is my bank balance? It's rapidly diminishing in these straightened times. And I'm not sure I could sort of go through all that again, even as a weekend card.
0: Tellingly, there's only 35 Alpha 159s, of which I'm a big fan on eBay mm. at the moment. That's interesting, I think, in itself, isn't it? And, yeah. and a few of those are sub four grand. Did you say a, a... original Bravos, you couldn't find one? Yeah. I have found one.
1: Have I you have found a one?
0: Right, tell us, tell us the details. Give us the deets. It is an uh, oh
1: my god, it's left-hand drive.
3: <laughs> what is this doing here? Pure
1: for pure experience of driving. It is. Mm. It is. Uh, so well, it's got an N reg plate on it. Did they go back that far? When did they come out? Probably was yeah, about then. M- yeah. M- M- yeah,
3: ninety-five. Around. Yeah, yeah. Knife, I suppose. Yeah, or ninety-five. So this
1: is uh, this is a very early one. Uh, left-hand drive, one owner apparently. Uh, M.O.T.ed until April next year in good conditions. So there's more than one condition of it that is good. Uh, <laughs> body work with some dents but nothing major. It looks like it's got some very major dents to me. Uh, only selling as not Ulez compliant, apparently. It is, uh, it is the 1.8, so it is the quick one. Ooh. And it has a very random sort of aftermarket fog light and a Gandia sticker on the back of it. Where the hell's Gandia? Gandia. Who knows? It's only done 52,468 miles, apparently, and the guy wants £990 for it. It's an HLX 1.8, so it's got the uh, the whitish-looking alloy wheels on it, and it's in a rather fetching shade of doom blue. But at least the guy hasn't washed it and has parked it next to some roadworks and some bin bags for the picture, so at least it looks good there.
0: <laughs> Sold.
3: <laughs> in its natural environment. <laughs>
0: I, I can't say that any part of me wants to buy that. C- certainly not at nine hundred and ninety pounds. Ninety-nine pounds, maybe just
3: for the novelty.
0: I remember my, my granddad had a TPO back in the day. I'm sure it used to talk. Have I imagined this?
3: Oh yeah, yeah. They had the oh ah no, hang on. Maybe it did. It had the digit. There was the digital dashboard mm. one. It was the DGT. Whether it talked, I don't know. I'll have to look that one up. I know the Maestro. Oh, maybe them, it's the uh, maestro I'm thinking, very of. Long,
0: it? Because uh, we, we had a few maestros in the family. We my parents had a red one and then a beige one because the beige colour didn't show the rust so much. I mean I can't think of yeah. <laughs> choosing a colour of car because it doesn't show the rust so much. And I think my granddad had a red one as well, so it probably was a maestro. Yeah. I don't think the Tipo did talk, but it did have the um the night
3: rider mm. dashboard, definitely. Yeah. So you can have the old shape N Range.
1: £990, or for £20 less, you could have the newer shape, which is a 2009 on a 59 plate. Okay, it's done more miles, but if that previous car has done 58,000 miles, I'd eat my hat. This one looks much tidier and it's £20 less, and there's no pictures of it next to a skip.
0: Not a bad looking car, actually, is it? There's something a bit Jaguar XK about the headlamps, I think, of a Bravo. Bravo! Did I say? Hmm. You know what I mean with the, the square, the square grid in the middle, but then the, the sort of the, the shape of the lamp. I don't know. Anyway, if you've got a weird bent for Italian humdrum vehicles, which almost certainly will have fallen apart by now, then tell us. No, they don't. They're fantastic cars. You can drive in all weathers, and they never rust. By tagging us at UK Motor Talk. So moving on, you have something you to talk to us about, Graham, which is, for some people, difficult to pronounce. Guggenheim. <laughs> Bless you. Guggenheim. It's a museum
2: in Bilbao in, in northern Spain, and I'm going on holiday for a couple of weeks very shortly. And I discovered this quite by accident. We, my wife and I said, we've never been into the Guggenheim. It's, it's an incredibly uh, modernist, Frank Gehry-designed building. So I just casually decided to have a look at their website, and discovered Motion Autos Art and Architecture, which is a huge collection of cars. Uh, This is narrated by the architect Norman Foster, who was apparently a mad keen collector of cars himself. Didn't know that. But what attracted me uh, and and why I've already been in touch with them and I'm going to go and uh, shoot some pictures and record some audio and do some stuff. There are a lot of cars that I've seen over many, many years in books, but they've got stuff from, from collections and from collectors that I've never actually seen in the flesh. The one thing that was uh, very familiar uh, to me is Nick Mason's Ferrari 250 GTO. We've all seen that at Goodwood. It's it's you know he's owned it for many many years. If you want to know uh, how he acquired it, uh, read his book into the red. But this has got uh, this exhibition has got a lot of cars that I've never seen before. Chrysler Airflows, the Bat cars. We were talking about Alfa Romeo earlier. You know, these are cars that just live in museums. But Norman Foster has decided to put them together with various works of art to tell a story of architecture, art and car design. And there was one phrase that particularly caught my eye in their blurb, which I can't now find, but the gist of it was, (laughs) this may well be the last of the automotive 20th century display of cars because everything else will be electric. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fabulous collection. So if anybody is on holiday in northern Spain, go and have a look-see. I mean, it's only about 10 euros to get into the, the exhibition anyway. It's dirt cheap. But um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it because these are cars. I mean, I've been interested in cars over 60 years. And some of these cars I've seen in magazines and books over the years. And uh, I, I've never thought that I would ever see them in the flesh. Even uh, when I toured some of the uh, American auto museums, there were cars there that uh, that I haven't seen uh, before, and I'm I'm really keen to do so. Certainly, the things like the back cars, but well, they headed off with the the usual 1886 Mercedes, and then come right up to
3: uh, some of the very latest uh, designs. I'd go just to go and see the Bugatti Atlantic. Yep, exactly, just, that is an absolutely stunning looking thing. I, mean, I can't say I'm a huge fan of Bugattis original works you know when it was still Ettore's name over the door but that thing has always fascinated me the fact that it's literally made in two halves and stuck together down the middle and you can see the seam running completely the length of the bonnet over the roof and down the back where it has the the circle for putting the spare wheel it's, it's absolutely it's, wonderful it's amazing I mean thing. it's these these
2: are mostly cars that were were made Either as project cars or in incredibly limited numbers, and you just don't get to see them. Bond car as well. I think the
3: DB yeah, five, I think it's a five and it. a
2: six. Uh, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. Looking forward to seeing those. But again, those are things that aren't that difficult to find in museums uh, anywhere. But um, I can remember. Uh, I can remember it was in California. It was a big museum there, which is I think now closed, uh, and they had Clark Gable's collection of cars. Stutz Bearcats and things like that, which you're just not going to see. They're in such small numbers that if they come up for auction, they're multi-million and they're just transferred from one very rich person's collection to another very rich person's collection and they they never really go on display anywhere unless you're lucky enough to find one in a museum. Bugattis, there is a collection of those in France, isn't there? And I can't remember exactly where it is because the museum went bust and the French
3: government impounded all of the cars and that was a couple of years ago. Oh, was that the um, the Schlumpf collection? They basically hidden these things away as a as a tax dodge, hadn't that they? Was they it. were worth squillions and squillions of francs as it was yep. then. It does look like an amazing thing. So you're going to be chatting to the people who are sort of curating it, or are you? People at the actual Guggenheim itself. Well, I'm
2: hoping so. Uh, certainly, I'm, I'm going to be taking some bits of video and some photos and uh, talking to anybody I can about the cars. I, I have no idea who will be there on the day that I'm there, but uh, for me, it's just seeing
1: stuff that I've never seen before. And uh, and to be fair, if we've uh, if article. we've whetted your appetite for it, you, you can actually go on uh, on the website and do a virtual tour. Uh, yes. Yeah. Some- currently lost in a stairwell at the moment i'm trying to work out how to get back around again um, yeah the, i kept the, the, getting the, stuck in the fire yeah exit. The, the fact that you can get up and down the stairwell is uh is fascinating so i have familiarized myself with the fire <laughs> exit
0: is it like grand theft auto
1: but if it does all kick off then uh, i'll be a man but yeah it's uh it's actually to uh the fact that all this is online and uh, and if you can't make it to a foreign country or whatever else it's uh it's all on, it's been done very, very well, and uh, not just a whistle stop, And you get one view in each room, you can pretty much wander around as if you're virtually there, and actually walk right up into the middle of some of the displays, so actually I dare say there's bits you actually wouldn't be able to stand at, but yeah, they do have the James Bond DB5, there BMT, so we had this conversation about number plates a little while ago, didn't we? They've got BMT 216A, which I believe is the plate, isn't it? But of course, it could just be a show plate on that car, but not quite sure. But I'm liking the the sporting room. That's a nice room. That's my favourite room so far.
2: It is an excellent it's website. Amazing. It, I mean, it's a very, very thorough tour of, of, of what's there. And I, I was pleasantly surprised by how well done it is. But nevertheless, I still want to go with it.
0: Absolutely. Well, I look forward to hearing a bit more about that soon. A bit closer to home is the British Motor Show
1: again in August, isn't it? Well, cl- closer to our homes. Let's uh, let's not preclude our international listeners, shall we? Of
0: course. Yep. Silly me. I always always think that everyone's based in the uh, southeast corner of England, but it turns out no. People live all around the world, which is fantastic. People do at uh, high over there. Uh, so yeah, Closer to our home, should we say, is the British Motor Show at Farnborough again. Very good last time. Enjoyed it for its uh, inaugural event. Well, I say inaugural event. First time there's been an event for, for many years, wasn't it? It does look good. It's got
3: some great things on there. There's going to be lots of famous people. There's going to be Tim Shaw and Fuzz Townsend from the, the excellent car SOS. They'll be good fun, along with Mike Brewer from The Opposition. Hold on your eh. From the other channels. Sound so, like a pirate when I said that. Sling them in a ring. Let them fight to the death. <laughs> yeah. That'll be quite good fun. Um, there's a lot of interactive stuff you can actually do test drives around the site because it It is a big site, Farmer, the Exhibition Centre side of things. It's Mm. massive, and you get a nice view of the planes coming and going as well if you're into that sort of thing. But there's GT Supercar Paddock Sporting Bears, friends of the podcast. They're going to be there doing dream rides, which is always good. And, of course, there will be the latest cars to go and look at if they can actually get any out of the factories, because I believe supply is still a bit of a problem. Uh, A lot of electric stuff, which carries on the theme from the last time we were there, which was the electric car show that I went to a couple of months ago. Uh, it looks like there's something for everyone, really. It looks like it's going to be good fun. Something for everyone apart from me, because I can't go, because I'm going on my holes. So uh, I hope you have a good time, those of you who are
0: going. Jack, mm, you're out. Is appearing off for, for sunny climbs. No. no. <laughs> Scotland. Scotland. Oh, my goodness, man. Are you going to do the Skyfall photo? I went
1: to Scotland not that long ago, not actually that far into Scotland, only on the on the Scottish borders. And I did, uh, I did look up. I thought, well, as I've come all this way, you know, I flew up there, met up with a, uh, a mate from back in the mini racing days, had a had an accidental night out, and sort of before we really, you know, we went out for dinner and a few drinks, and before realised it, we got home at four o'clock in the morning, I think. But it was uh, it was a great night out. But I thought, oh, the next day, shall you know, shall I go and have a look at the Skyfall Road? It's, oh no, that's a Three-hour drive in that direction. All right. Well, shall I go to this place instead? Oh no, that's a four-hour drive in that direction. But it was uh, the, the day I was up there it was glorious, beautiful sunshine, and you know the missus had texted me and said, "Oh, be careful in this weather," and I was like. What, glorious sunshine and it was 15 degrees
3: or something ridiculous the weather was better than england army it was well we're going just over the border and we're not going to be very far away from duns which is where the jim um, clark museum the excellent jim clark museum which i'm assured is well worth the visit and i'm very much looking forward to going and seeing that so i should report back
0: what do you hear about that too
3: please do it's it's uh, i've
2: seen about it but i've never never been there and it, uh, it's supposed to be really really good
1: well that is very close mm. I did very well in Scotland because I introduced by myself by my name and I said oh well, that's a good Scottish name but then I spoke and they are like you don't, you don't sound like you're from Scotland to be fair but the, the name's alright so you'll be okay just just don't say anything just tell people your name and then be
0: quiet you'll be well away and I guess on that point it's time for us to disappear off it's been fantastic talking to you again thank you for listening we really do appreciate it don't forget to well download us wherever you cast your pods and in the meantime, check us out on the socials at UK Motor Talk. pretty much everywhere. For me, Mike, it's time to say goodnight, or goodbye, or good morning, whatever you're doing. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. Take care. From me, Graham, it's goodbye and take good
3: care. And from me, Dave. Look forward to seeing you next time.
0: UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.